Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I'm so excited to have Lavana Roth on the show. As an elementary and secondary educator, Lavana has used her skills to become an author of eight books on brain research and engaging instruction, keynote speaker, consultant, and creator of Ignite Your Shine. Lavana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Josh. I'm so excited to be on Aspire. Thank you. And Lavana, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you went from the classroom to the founder of your own consultant company and creator of Ignite Your Shine. Yes. Well, it was a path that was not planned. <laughs> so I was actually getting ready to interview to become an assistant principal. And that was the path that I thought I was going to be and then being a principal in a school building. And I didn't know if I'd go beyond that, possibly district office, but I had an opportunity to step out of the classroom before I interviewed, literally a couple weeks before I interviewed to become an assistant principal. I ended up not returning, which is what shocked me. So it was where I worked for several companies and got a different experience. And then one of the experiences was actually two of them were really, really rough. And one was a layoff and one was I was in a very, very toxic environment and cussed at and screamed at. And finally I said, you know what, this is not where I need to be nor where I want to stay. And so culture, I realized then, even I did before that, but culture especially began to realize the importance of it. So I left there and went into full-time consulting. And like I said, it was a huge jump that I never planned on, but here we are years later and I'm absolutely loving it. So it's always interesting to see where your journey takes you. And so looking back in your experience as a teacher and then in the business world, what was one experience that really helped you enhance your skills as a leader? I'm going to say a lot of opportunities and different people I encountered, but it's actually the negative experiences that I'm going to say really helped me as a leader because at first my reaction was, oh my goodness, there's no way this is ridiculous. I can't deal with this. And I'm just quitting. As that did start to evolve, where I decided I was going to leave, what I realized was that I was also seeing a lot of non-examples of what would kill a culture and what would kill motivation and reduce productivity or achievement, whatever word you want to use there. And I use it as a non-example. And honestly, if I saw the people today that I had, you know, were in a toxic environment with before, I would actually thank them because I think it's important to also, not that I ever want anyone to be in that situation and I would never want to be in that situation again, but there's a lot that I learned from that as an example of what not to do also. So in your experience, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? I think taking a step back and looking at the leadership within me. That was a very, very difficult piece because I never really viewed myself as a leader. And I was often identified as, oh, why don't you get on this committee? And we're going to put you in this committee and we're putting up this for this award. And I was always so grateful and thankful, but I didn't know why. And even when I came to Florida, I was accepted into that program. I still couldn't understand how to mentor because I didn't know what I was doing well. Right? I just knew that I was teaching and that there was recognition that people noticed about me, but I didn't understand the leadership skills. And so I think a lot of it has to do with just learning about yourself and learning what skill set you have, what are your strengths and what are not your strengths, and then honing in on what that is specifically. And I think a lot of the times we compare to so many other people about what they have and what you don't have. I saw leadership as in, well, I don't have that and I don't have that and I don't have that. And it didn't mean that I couldn't lead and didn't mean that I wasn't going to go for it. But I had problems with looking specifically at 
if I don't have all of that, how could I possibly be a good leader? And now I understand that we all have our own leadership styles and that we all have our own skill sets. So finding that balance with who you work well with, but also looking at, okay, this is my strength. What is their strength? And if it's an opposite of mine, then that's a great compliment. If it's the same, then that just strengthens that bond as well. What are some characteristics you believe every leader should possess in a similar role? Ooh, I definitely think reflection is a key. Being able to reflect back on what decisions you made and what you could have turned to other teammates on to have a better understanding. I also feel to be open-minded. And I think it's it's hard sometimes to be open-minded and to also realize that your own experiences, your own stories, and what you have brought to the table, your rules, your values may not be the same as everyone else's. And so opening up, okay, stepping in, trying as best I can to come from empathy and from their side, what is it that they are bringing to the table and why they're bringing that to the table? Just as it is with the reflection piece of you know you as a leader, why are you bringing what you bring to the table? So I think having those two really pop out in my head the most and then developing the skill set of when somebody disagrees with you, how do you open up your mindset to understand their perspective and to, to hear their story, so to speak? And I think there's a perception in education that to be a leader, you have to fill a position in administration at the campus or district level. How can our aspiring leaders make an impact outside of administration? Oh, my goodness. I <laughs> I love that you brought this up because I just had a teacher message me last week and she said, I said, hey, did you know that your district is going to do a leadership academy? And she said, oh, that sounds amazing, but I would never qualify. And I was like, wait, what? And she said, no. She's like, I would not qualify for that. Like, they're not looking for a leader like me. And so then I proceeded to tell her, oh, my goodness, do you understand that as a leader, you're a teacher leader? Like you are in the classroom. Look at the lives you're changing every single day. When you take what you're sharing in the classroom and you share that with your colleagues, you're sharing with parents, that is a form of leadership. And I'm so excited to say that she actually applied. And I told her, I was like, she's like, but what if I don't get accepted? I'm like, that's okay because you took the first step. Like that's the huge accomplishment to begin to recognize that you are a leader. So I think leaders come in all forms. They come in all ways. It's the same thing when I work with schools and we pull groups of students. I ask for 20 to 25 students at the end of the day that I want to meet with. And I say specifically that when I want your leaders, I don't want just academic leaders. I want your top academic leaders, but I do want your quiet leader. I want your musical leader, your athletic leader, your gang leader. And yes, a gang leader, because they're still leader, just not using it in the right way. So I think when we broaden our scope that every single one of us has leadership abilities, it's a matter of identifying it, recognizing it, and developing it, that we can really take off in so many different directions than the way we tend to look at a hierarchy now currently in an administration or a business, no matter where it may be, it's not a hierarchy. We are all coming in together as leaders, and it's our job to come into that same vision of where we headed, identify that mission, and move forward in that direction. Looking at your experience from going from the classroom to the private industry, what was one of the misconceptions that you had going from that experience? That it would be easy. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say easy as in super easy, but I think coming from education, the thing that blindsided me the most is how much business you do and how many hats you wear. Mm -hmm. For example, I 
hate doing sales. To this day, I'm probably the worst salesperson in the world. And I know sales can be a, a dirty word, but it shouldn't be because we're all selling in some way. You know, when we're especially if you're advocating for kids or you have your own product or you have a company or you have your own classroom, you're selling it to parents. You know, the belief that I'm here to support your child and to do the best that I can for your child. But there, there are there's so many hats and I'm constantly learning, but I am a learner. Like if I took the strengths finder every single time, number one or number two is learner. So it's just something that I think I'm constantly striving for is to how do I take each step of my journey and make the best of it that I can yeah, that there's so many things I could say there, Josh. <laughs> and I'm not motivated by easy. I mean, sometimes yeah. yes, but I like to have that that drive of you know the moment somebody says to me, "Oh, you'll never achieve it," or "You can't." Oh, look out! There's mm-hmm. this inner personality side of me that says, "You want to bet?" And that's that. I almost prefer when somebody says that to me because I won't do it despite or to necessarily prove them wrong, but to prove to myself that yes, I can. And so you have an incredible pulse on the future of education as you travel around the world. What do you think is the largest barrier for success in leadership? I think it has a couple of things. I'm going to say collaboration as one. I think, you know, as I, I go around the world and it's been such a privilege to do that. It's amazing, the cultures and the differences, yet similarities. It's the passion is the same. But we still have a lot of silos, a lot of, you know, and it's interesting because I talk to colleagues who who are, aren't doing that. They are tearing down the silos so they don't see it. But then I have a lot of colleagues that I, they're like, listen, I'm alone in my classroom. Or I've talked to an administrator a few weeks ago and he said, you know, in my district, I'm the only one that wants to move things forward, that really wants to see change in education and wants to do what's best for kids and has that drive to learn and to read. And actually, that was another district I, I worked with too that said the same thing. There's next to no professional reading. So I think having the opportunity to sit together and collaborate is a big, big component. As an educational leader, what is one thing that you do want to change in education? How much time do you have, Josh? (laughs) As as much as you'll give me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I'll start with, actually, I'll just say, for me, it's uh, shifting education. I I watched the word change a little bit just because when we say change, people tend to go, why do we have to change? What do you want me to change? That's hard. That's difficult. And so I prefer the word shift. Uh, so when I look at shifting education, and I also think the word shift doesn't loan itself to saying that we're doing so many things wrong. Because um, even though I joke and say, where do you want me to start? It, it is more of, you know, I started Ignite Your Shine with actually the, shine, the word shine wasn't shine, it was smart. And that was because I wanted to shift what we identify as smart in education. And going back to something I just said, somebody said to me, Lavana, you'll never change the definition of smart. And so, like I said, my reaction was, mm, watch me, right? And then the other part of my reaction was, what if they're right? And so that little bit of self-doubt came in. But again, I'm thankful for that person because it caused me to take a step back and to reflect. And when I realized what I want to see in education, and it's gotten a lot bigger than I ever imagined, is that how do we shine? And we and, and shine, we, when we look at the letter S under self, we look at strengths, gifts, skills, and talents. And when we look at H, heart, which is about passion, my goal is to not only help students, but also teachers and actually every individual, but to learn to combine the two together. And so that when you have your strengths and you have your passions, and especially I'll speak specifically to education, 
that when we get students to realize what their strengths and skills are, at the same time, they're beginning to also identify what their weaknesses are. But instead of that being the focus in education, let the strengths be the focus. Because you work on your weaknesses, but most of us are not going to go into a career that is going to be all centered around our weaknesses, because that's not what, what we're there for. It's not what we enjoy. And then you bring in that passion side, and we're so passionate about different things. And that's the beauty of this. And if we, in my classroom, I kept saying to them, when we bring these two things together, Guys, that's when we're unstoppable, you know, because we each have our strengths and we each have our passions, which makes a difference. But together, that makes it unbelievable. And so in education, I would love to see where it's not the scenario that I experienced when I sat with seven seniors graduating in three weeks and I asked them what their strengths were and they could not tell me what they continued to tell me was their weaknesses. And I looked at them and I said, we have done you a disservice in education. And they were like, what? And I said, we have done you a disservice because you're all talking about your weaknesses and I asked you about your strengths. And so my goal for education would be where students do know their strengths and their passions. We have exposed them to career paths so that they have a better idea of not only what is out there, but also what they may want to go into. And I'm not talking about tracking, right? I'm, I'm talking about it of coming from a different lens of exposure so they have an idea of what is out there. And then now we can begin to hone them towards what they need to do after high school because they don't have to go to college. You know, if they choose to go to college, great, because now they have a better idea. But instead of jumping straight from high school into college and going tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt for something they may not have needed to do. Mm -hmm. And now they may sp spend years and years and years trying to get out of that debt. So I don't know. I just put a chapter in a book, 10 perspectives on innovation education. And mine was chapter 10 of a collaboration. And that's one of the things I talked about in the fact that, when students go to college, only 26.3% after they graduate will actually use the degree they earned. Mm. So we're talking just over a quarter. And then it's around 19% will actually graduate in four years. So again, when we go do that math, and the reason it's not four years in many cases, I'm excluding lawyer, medical, the reason it's not is because they're changing their major multiple times. So if we back that down into for education, into lower levels of education, then we give our students an opportunity to really decide what it is they want to do. Although I think we're all trying to figure out what we want to do when we grow up. <laughs> oh, most definitely. And I want to unpack so many things that you just said. First off, that dirty word of change for our aspiring leaders or maybe our veteran leaders when they are trying to create change on their campus, how do you think that they can go beyond that word and actually make the appropriate changes that they need? I think it was starting with being sensitive and aware of what words have negative connotations. You know, so change often has a negative connotation. We know that people don't often like change. So finding words, synonyms that will help you with that has more of a positive connotation, like a shift or a tweak is a slight, you know, and then you do another slight, another slight, or another tweak, another tweak. Um, just being aware of words such as struggle. You know, if we say things like, I know that this has been a struggle and I know we are struggling with this. I work with this with teachers, administrators, students on that language specifically, because when you hear struggle, you hear it's going to be hard. But if I said to you, this is going to be a challenge, it has an entirely different meaning to it. So like swapping your words, your language, because we think, oh, it's just a word. Yeah, but words really do matter. They speak to the brain and the brain says, oh, I hear a positive thing or a negative thing. I hear something easier. I hear something hard. And each of us is challenged by different things. But as a leader and knowing your people, who's your, your tribe there at the school and who's in your community, how do you use, use your language to make sure that you're speaking in a way that is motivating and not... I already worked so hard. This is going to be so much more. I want to go back to the college point of your answer earlier. 
you know, the other day I had a plumber come out and he was an assistant principal and he was telling me he makes three times as much as a plumber as he did as an administrator. And I know that the focus right now is making your students college ready. What do you think the response is to your chapter and what you were saying about only 23% making it through college? I think every child should have the option to go to college. I think we should prep for college ready. I think we should prep for career ready. But I think my career ready is a little bit different than what we've been viewing it as. Looking at the chapter, I'm interested to see some of the feedback. The book just came out, I think it was three or four weeks ago. Uh, So I know I've had one teacher who has emailed me very much in length. And I loved it because she just gave me perspective from a mom on what I said, perspective as an educator. And I just think that, you know, shifting our focus from college ready, yes. But, you know, if you look the fastest growing career in the United States alone is entrepreneurship. And if you ask Gen Z, which they have done a survey, more than half of them believe they will own their own company. So college is still a great thing to go to. As a matter of fact, my daughter's in entrepreneurship program at a state here, uh, state university in Florida. And so there's a way of thinking with that, but she didn't know what she wanted to go into. And I said, you know what? I said, then I'm going to recommend business of some form because business won't ever hurt you. Majority of the career options you have are going to be involved with business in some way. So she ended up finding out they had an entrepreneurship program, went into it and said, what I'm going to stay in. And I said, that's fine. It's totally fine. But when I talked to one of her upper level professors that she hasn't yet had, I said, I don't know if my daughter will stay in this program. And he said, you know what? That's so what? That's not a big deal because the kind of thinking she's going to get here is going to help her in any career she chooses. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. She's thought about possibly going to real estate. You know, if she decides to not extend after this year, her freshman year in college, she might leave and go do real estate again, something that's not going to hurt her in the future. So I think we just need to look at options for students of how do we broaden that horizon again, giving them exposure to all these different things, things they've never even heard about things. They have no idea exist and possibly the things that may exist in the future that we don't even quite fully understand or know. Mm-hmm. So if we can get them ready for that in some capacity, I think we're doing a much better service for our students. But <laughs> yeah, to hear three times more as a plumber. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many options now. <laughs> so many options. But again, I'm going to go back to follow your passions. You know, 100%. if your passions is with kids, money's not the answer. And, you know, you find what it is that drives you. But at the same time, make sure you're passionate about it because we all get one life. Mm-hmm. That's it. For those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? Be patient with yourself. (laughs) I think leadership is a process of development. I know that Michelle Obama in her book put, you know, she doesn't like the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. And I think that question relays directly into this whole part with the leadership, you know, being patient with who you are and beginning to learn who you are and who you will be. You know, it's a process, it's a development and having that patience understanding. But the best thing that I would also say with that is surround yourself with people who support you and light your world on fire. Was it Rumi? I think he said something along the lines of trying to remember off the top of my head, but something about seek those who fan your flames is, you know, surround yourself with those people. And it's not people who lift you up just to lift you up, but are there to support you, guide you, mentor you. And when you have the right people in place that aren't putting in professional jealousy and their own things that they want to see, but they pull that out and truly are there for you. So you can also be there for them. That is just such a leadership asset for you. For those who haven't had an opportunity to read one of your eight books, can you pick one book and describe how the book may help our aspiring leaders? 
Sure. So I always come from the lens of neuroscience and cognitive psychology and psychology and all that. So everything that I do, whether it's Ignite Your Shine, whether I'm doing what my books is on, um, books are on, which is brain powered learning. It all, it, the whole underlying piece. That's why social emotional learning is so important to me. Mm-hmm. But it all comes from that lens. But brain powered strategies to engage all learners was the first book that I wrote, and it is a K eight book. It was meant to be K twelve, but I honestly I was running out of time, so I had a deadline to meet. So it ended up being K eight, which I regret to this day. Um, but it's all about how the brain learns, and then strategies within there with lessons that it go across all the different grade bands and content areas to support. So I just think it's, yes, we want to do all kinds of different instruction, but I also think it's truly, truly important to make sure that you're doing it also with how the brain learns. Otherwise we're kind of paddling backwards or we're staying in the same place instead of being able to move students further and faster. So there is definitely a shift in education with social emotional learning. I just want to go into that just a little bit because I know of your brain research and the things that you write about. How can our leaders really help our students with social emotional learning? I think patience has a lot to do with that. It kind of seems to be my theme tonight, but patience with with students. And the reason I say that is it's coming back to stories and journeys. You know, I, I regret some of the students that I had with how I handled things and probably not the only one <laughs> that is that regrets, but there are students I wish I could go back and apologize. And I'll give you an example of one that I so wish, and I'm going <laughs> to actually choke up with you. Uh, I was a recent student that I hadn't heard from in 20 years. And she came through Facebook and shared with me that when I taught middle school and I had her, she ended up, we went back and forth with several messages, but she ended up saying to me that when she came to our school, that her father had just been transferred. That's how she ended up at our school, transferred with a job. She, her brother had just passed away at the age of 13. Her other brother had just been arrested and was in jail. And she was the only child she felt in our school that looked the way she looked. And I didn't know that. Now, her message to me was all about how I didn't see any of that and how I saw the greatness in her. So I greatly, greatly appreciate and thankful that I saw that, but I didn't know her story and I didn't take the time to know her story more in depth. And I've had multiple students come to me and thankfully they've had great things to say, but then I have found out more about their story and I'm just like, how did I not know this? You know, how did I not? Cause I, I had a good relationship with my students, but not enough to know more of their personal background. And it doesn't mean I have to know everything, but to know more. So when it comes to a leader, you know, understanding your students' stories, and it becomes a little bit of a fine line of don't enable them. You know, don't allow it to be an excuse. You gotta teach them how to draw strength from what they've been through. And that, that there's a lesson, there's a takeaway, there's a benefit to what they have gone through. So listening, being patient, and it's not about punishment. You know, it's about teaching them the lessons. They're going to make mistakes. <laughs> they, they're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. So understand that they make a mistake just like you do. And don't forget that. And also remember coming from the lens of neuroscience that they're not fully developed, you know, all the way through 12th grade, they're not fully developed to think in the frontal lobes, the prefrontal cortex to say, this is why I'm making the decision because of X, Y, Z. It's often driven by emotions. And sometimes it's even driven by fight, flight, freeze. Mm -hmm. In addition to your classroom experience, you speak at conferences, you blog, you have your consulting company and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your classroom? Um, it's taken time. <laughs> <laughs> 
seen a lot of time. And anyone who hears me keynote knows that I usually share the fact that I am an introvert. Um, I have a high extrovert side to me. I love to be around people, but I also used to be shy. And so if you'd ever thought, like if anyone had ever said to me years ago, Lavana, you're going to be a keynote speaker. You're going to be out traveling the world. You're going to be doing workshops with, you know, anywhere from hundreds to thousands of teachers. I would have said, there's no way you do not clearly know me. And that's what I do today. So it's kind of crazy, but I think it's the classroom and realizing that, you know, what you do with students has to be shared when you have things that you're, that you're doing, that you're seeing progress with and excitement around that to share that, to be that kind of a leader. And then, you know, moving into like the private sector and just trying to have even a bigger impact from a direction of them. I just feel the more teachers and the more administrators that I can reach to understand the value of SEL and the value of using the brain as your foundation that now we can move things, you know, forward. And I'm, I'm very excited about just all the different opportunities and being able to, to go beyond the classroom to reach even more in that capacity and then watching messages of people telling me that, oh my goodness, I implemented this and you got to see this picture of what we did with students and that just completely warms my heart. In closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? Impact. I think as leaders, we often forget the impact that we make and when you make an impact, you're going to make one. The question is whether it's going to be a positive one or a negative one. And so as a leader, every day of every moment, you're impacting probably hundreds of lives, anywhere from staff to students to community members to parents, you know, everyone and anyone that has anything to do with a school or some way connected to someone within a school. And so as a leader, you know, never forget the power that you have of that impact. And again, you're going to make mistakes. Be forgiving of yourself. Don't repeat those mistakes, but say, what did I, what did I do incorrectly here that I would do different next time and seek the advice from others that may have that skill set if you don't. So I just, it's, it's, it's not an easy role. I know that, but impact, man, you are such an amazing, on Twitter, I call everyone edu stars, educational rock stars takes too many characters. So I shrunk it to edu stars, but that's truly what you are is, and never, ever forget that, you know? So I, I would just want to say for a moment, you know, Josh, thank you for doing this for educators and giving them the inspiration to aspire higher with what they want to do. And no matter what that role is, and I want to thank every edu star listening out there that I thank you from bottom of heart for all that you're doing, because you're never going to be thanked enough, but you really are rock stars. Well, I put you in that group too. Thank you. How can our listeners connect with you on social media? I try to make it pretty easy. So most most cases, it's my name. So if you just do Lavana Roth, so like my handle on Twitter is at Lavana Roth, and it's L-A capital V-O-N-N-A-R-O-T-H. It's pretty much everywhere. LinkedIn, it's the same. Facebook, it's the same. Instagram, yep, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> and then the hashtag I use is Ignite Your Shine. So Ignite Your Shine. And real quick, just for those who don't know about Ignite Your Shine, can you just give a quick synopsis about that? Yes. So I, since I started with Brain Powered, I was looking at engaging instruction in the classroom and aligning it with what the demands are of the instruction, but wasn't quite getting to the level of where I wanted it to be. And I realized that we had to have the culture, the philosophy, the SEL, you know, the understanding there first. So Shine is all about finding those strengths and gifts, skills, talents that I mentioned before, marrying that with passion. That's the H. I is inspire. So now that we have that greatness about us, what do we do when we know that things are going to come our way that we didn't see coming or people will say things that are hurtful? 
And then, so that's inspire. And then N is navigate. What are you going to do with all of that greatness, all those things? And this is where we talk about story and journey and goal setting and not rigid goal setting, but goal setting to be looking ahead to the future and the present. And then E is exceptional as the result because by doing all the things I briefly just talked about, <laughs> you're becoming the exceptional person that you were meant to be. And it's about individuals being who they are. That's why our t-shirts say, this is me. It's about being who you are and developing that and not worrying what everybody else wants you to be or who they want you to be or what they say you should be. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from this show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Lavana, thank you so much for being on the program. My pleasure, Josh. Thank you again so much.